Okay, well, hello, welcome everyone. So good to see you. This is a bit more of a cozy crowd, this is good. Um, hopefully most of you know me, uh, but if you don't, my name's Simon Hermel. I'm an elder here at Hills Baptist Verdun, and I get the privilege of, of speaking to you today and carrying on the, uh, the Hebrews series that we're currently looking at. And hasn't the Hebrews series been such a, an awesome series so far? Um, Dave and Brian have brought so much life um, to the Old Testament um, and, and all that God did through Israel, um, from the calling of Israel all the way through to, to them being in the Promised Land. Now, when I originally did a recap of everything that they've gone through so far, I had a whole page there, and uh, so I'm not going to read that out to you. I'm going to read out just a paragraph of of what I've got out of the series so far. And I think it comes down to, to the fact that Jesus reigns supreme. In him we see the fullness of God's grace and love for us as he fulfills and supersedes all the types and the shadows that came before him. Christ is not just enough, he is everything. He is the Son of God, the great high priest, the King of Kings, and yet he chose to become nothing, to become the Lamb that was slain, so that we might have life, and life to the full. So today I get to try and cover the topic of the Old Covenant, or God's Covenant with Israel. And there's way too much to try and cover um, in one sermon. So what I'm narrowing down in, and looking into is Hebrews 6, 13 to 20. And this takes us back to the story of Abram, right back to the very start of God's covenant and one that was confirmed with an oath ceremony. Before we do that, um, I'm just going to pray for us. Father, we just thank you that um, you are speaking today. It is not me, it's you are speaking through me. Your word goes out and it doesn't return void and I just pray in Jesus' name, that I would get out of the way, that all my weakness, my fear would, would sit aside and that you would speak through me and that you'd speak into our hearts and you'd tell us of who you are and your love for us and what you have done to set us free, Father. Um, would you come now? Would we have ears to listen? In Jesus' name I pray. Okay, so let's get into Hebrews six thirteen to 20. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchanging things, I want us to remember those lines, two unchanging things, in which it is impossible for God to lie. We, we who have fled to take hope of, hold of the hope set, set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have a hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters into the very 
inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a, a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Brian, a few weeks ago, shared his story about um, his being a doctor and what, what he does, and um, he used some very big words that I didn't understand. Uh, he obviously very good at what he does. Um, I am not as educated as Brian, um, but I'm going to share you, with you a story about my job. Um, if you don't know, I'm a police officer, um, and very, very, every so often, up in the hills, we come across some, some young teenagers who sometimes they're doing the wrong thing, sometimes they're not, but they see the police car, they're out late at night, and they, they freak out and they panic, and they, they do a bolt. Um, and so uh, often, and up in the hills most of the time, um, once we've caught them, if we've caught them, um, they are very apologetic, uh, they're very respectful, and um, they usually tell us everything that they've done uh, without holding anything back. Every now and then we come across someone who is a little bit different. Um, and one of, those stories, one, one of those stories that comes to mind is, is a time we're driving through Stirling um, and there was a group of youths all milling around uh, and we thought we'd pull into the car park and see what they're up to. Before we even got near the, near the group, there was one male there and he saw us, he looked for an escape and he just bolted. He was gone. And he's running through all the back of the, uh, all the shops in Stirling and uh, we were trying to chase him in a car, which felt really silly, really. Um, uh, and we eventually found him with his back to a window in a shop, squashed up against the window with his eyes closed, and we pulled up in front of him, and he just stayed there. Um, and we eventually called him over, and uh, he, was a, he was not respectful, he was... Uh, he was quite argumentative. Sammy, you wouldn't know anything about that with police, would you, mate? No. Um, he, uh, he just argued, denied, and, um, and he was really a bit of a pain in the backside. Um, so um, I eventually got his ID, and I was taking it down in my notebook, and one of his friends came over from the group. And just as... Just as I was taking his name down, my, my partner, who was a bit random, uh, started having an argument with a drunk female about a taxi drive, and she was yelling at him, and I think he was probably yelling at her, so I, I looked around, and I probably, I looked for a few seconds, and when I looked back, this, this guy's mate went like this, and I, and I looked... And I, I looked at them both, and I, what I realised in that moment was that the, the bloke who'd run had tried to hand something to his mate, but because I'd turned back in, in too quickly, they'd had to drop it, and his mate had stepped on it. <clears throat> so I said, mate, what's under your foot? Nothing. Mate, what's under your foot? Nothing. Well, okay, lift your foot up then. So he lifts his foot... <laughs> I eventually had to 
kneel down, pick his foot up, and under his foot was a small bag of cannabis. Now, at that point, the guy who is running, you would think it would be obvious that he'd run because he had the cannabis. I knew what he'd done. But no, he reacted the opposite. He said, what is that? Where did that come from? And I said, mate, it's, it's cannabis. He goes, what's cannabis? <laughs> I, and so we proceeded to have a 20-minute argument as to how I knew that it belonged to him. And he promised to me. He swore it was not his. It didn't belong to him. He, he, if, he, if he could have, he would have sold his soul to get out of that cannabis. I promise you. It wasn't mine. Now, the point I'm making to that story is not how do we deal with police. <laughs> the point I'm making is that the strength of a promise is only as strong as the integrity of the person. In a, or, or let me say another way, your covenant is only as strong as your character. And I think that's the heart of the text today. What the author is focusing here is not on our integrity, not on our character, because we are flawed. He is focusing on God's character through the lens of this covenant he made with Abraham. And he's saying God's covenant for his people is as sure as his character. Or in other words, our hope is certain because God's character is certain. Our hope is sure because God's character is sure. So why is our hope sure? <clears throat> the author wants us to look back to God's calling of Abram, and in particular, a very deliberate oath ceremony that he performed with Abraham. <clears throat> now, this oath wasn't an oath that we would make these days. It's not a statutory declaration or a, or a written civil agreement that we will keep the keep the agreement. The oath was an ancient ceremony that was as common in Abraham's time as, and, and it was purposely designed to be a very visual and a very bloody ceremony. And that leads me to the title of my sermon today, so please turn to the person next to you and share with them the title of today's sermon, Bloody Oath. We find this story in Genesis 15. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we find this story in Genesis 15, and in a minute we're going to read through that story, but I just want to recap and bring us up to speed at, at where Abram is at this time. So in Genesis 12, we're introduced to Abram, and, and God comes to him and calls him out of his, his country and his family, and he, he promises it to bless him, to make his people into a great nation, to make his name great, so that through him all families of the earth will be blessed. Now, Abram's wife Sarah is barren, and in Genesis 15 we find that Abram is an old man, and Sarah is still barren. Abram is no closer to the promise that God made to him back in Genesis 12. 
So Abram's waiting. He's waiting and God still hasn't come through. So let's have a read of Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure." When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, the 9am service reminded me that the smoking firepot is, is not uh, connected to my story earlier about smoking pot, just so you know. <clears throat> On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I'll give this land, from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites and Jebusites. I did it better than I am, sorry. (laughs) Sorry, I thought I'd get better. So this is, the blood, this is God's bloody oath. It's a little intense, isn't it? Um, if you look up on the screen, I think there should be a, a picture. Um, I don't know. Yeah, there it is. It's a pretty bloody and gory image, isn't it? So what's happening here? What is God saying here? As I said earlier, this ceremony was normal. This is an ancient ceremony that was commonly performed in those days. Two parties would affirm a promise with each other by cutting the animals in half and then passing between those animals together. In doing so, each party would imply that if they didn't keep their part of the promise, 
that they would be cursed and they would end up like the animals they were passing through. And so Abraham goes about preparing the oath ceremony. And I, I want us to put ourselves in Abram's shoes. Thongs, maybe. Um, as I want, uh, um, imagine how he's feeling as he's preparing for this. He's about to make an oath with God. He's about to lay his life on the line for, his, for this inheritance that God is promising. Can you feel the weight of the pressure he must be feeling? Looking at those animals cut in half and knowing what would, have, what would happen to him if he failed to keep the oath that God, would, that God would require of him. To make matters worse, once... To make matters worse, once he has prepared the animals... And as he's waiting on, the, on God, birds of prey came down and tried to pick at the animals, to pick at God's covenant. Abram falls into a deep sleep and a dreadful darkness comes over him. And all this imagery of the birds in the darkness suggests that Abram is troubled in spirit. So why is Abram troubled? Perhaps for the first time, Abram is seeing the depths of his sin, the depths of his character flaws. He sees God's character, God's perfect nature, and he sees how unmatched his character is in comparison. Brian and Dave have spoken in detail about our sin in their previous messages, and I encourage you to, to go back and listen to those if you haven't. But Abram sees the depth of his sin, not just his sin, the sin of humanity, and how we are unable to live as God's called us. He sees that he is broken and he knows that if he goes through this oath ceremony, that it's inevitable that he will end up cursed. He will end up just like the slaughtered animals lying before him. That's pretty weighty, isn't it? It's a lot to bear. But now as we come to the big moment in the story where we see the true nature and the true character of God as his plans revealed. You see, right in that moment, Right at the very beginning of Israel's journey, God reveals his grace to him. God doesn't ask Abraham to pass through the animals. God, God doesn't require Abraham to take on the curse that the oath ceremony would bring. Abraham sits back and watches as a smoking fire pot and a torch pass through the animals. What a relief that must have been. What a weight off of Abraham's shoulders. Someone else is going through that oath ceremony. But what is, who is it? What is, what's happening there? What is the smoking fire pot and the torch? What do they symbolize? If we look ahead at the Exodus, then we know that God leads his people out of Egypt by fire and a cloud. And at Mount Sinai, God comes on the mountain in fire and he's hidden in dense smoke. The smoking fire pot and the torch represent God. He goes before Abraham. He passes through the oath ceremony. He solely takes the responsibility on his shoulders. He says to Abraham, if either of us, if either of us break this covenant, I alone will be responsible. I will be torn like these animals. You, Abraham are not held responsible for this promise 
This is my promise to bring about. What a relief that would have been for Abraham. And that's the God we know. The God that we worship. He hasn't changed. Right from the outset, we see the same grace and mercy that he shows us today. He doesn't require anything from us but to be faithful in his promise. He does the rest. But there's something even more powerful in this imagery. You see, when we look at the imagery, Abraham isn't just left out or forgotten. He's substituted. Someone takes his place in that oath ceremony. God passes through in two separate images. If they both represent God and yet are different images, then we need to consider what that means. See, the smoking pot was common back in those days. They would move around a lot and um, what they do is they take their coals in the morning and they place them in a big round clay pot and they would keep the coals in that pot for the entire day and the coals would stay hot, the coals would stay alight. And then when they came to camp that night, they would then take those coals and cook with them, keep their fire going, keep them warm. So in the smoking pot, we see that the fire or the coal is hidden. And that hidden coal, hidden fire, represents God the Father in his invisible form. His holy nature is hidden from us. He has to hide it from us because he's, he's too holy for us to understand, to comprehend they're too wonderful for us to see, just like he hid himself in the smoke on Mount Sinai. But we see the other entity that passes through alongside of the pot. It's a torch, a fire. You take a, a stick and you place it in that clay pot, and what happens? You bring it out and it's a light. It reveals what is inside that clay pot. The torch is a visible resemblance of what is unseen in the pot. And that torch has taken the place of Abram. Here we see God is revealing a deeper element of his promise to Abraham and his descendants. And it's not just a promise, it's a person. This torch is pointing to Christ, the Son of God who took on our curse. Christ who would go ahead of us and ensure that the nature and the purpose of God would be fulfilled despite us. I just love that imagery. God the Father, Christ the Son, together in unity, passing through our judgment, passing through the oath ceremony, taking the responsibility that we deserve, taking on the curse that we deserve, that we bring on ourselves. Isaiah 53, 4, 4 to 6 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And we don't have time to go through the whole of the Old Testament, through the whole of the Old Covenant. 
But we know, if we look at our Bible, we know that God, God's nature is not changing. God's nature is the same in, in Moses, in Abraham, in Noah, all the way through the, the Old Testament. His covenant, his grace, his love, his mercy is always there. It's always present. It's unchanging. But so is his justice. He requires justice to be filled. He is fully just. So let's go back into Hebrews because in that image in Hebrews, uh, sorry, in the image in Genesis, there is, we see the fullness of those two unchanging things that I spoke about. The two unchanging things we see in, in the visible represent, representation of God's character and his purpose. God's character and his word. God the Father and Christ the Son are the two unchangeable things. Christ is the promise. Christ is the word. John 1, 1-5 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Isaiah 55, 10 to 11 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. So let's go back to my story in the beginning. We might judge that, that young kid who ran away from me. We might think that we're better than him. We might think that we've got it more together than him. But we are just the same as him. We might do it in different ways. It might not be as obvious. We might know how to hide it, conceal it better. But when we are confronted with our sin, our flaws, our mistakes... We run away. We try and hide. We pretend that we're not like that. We try and put the blame on someone else. Or to put it another way, in the way that the author of Hebrews says it, we are like drifting boats without any control. He wants us to see what Abraham saw as he was preparing for that ceremony. That because of our sin, because of our fallen nature, we are like boats drifting on the ocean, susceptible to the wind and the waves and the current and the tide, unable to keep ourselves fastened, unable to keep ourselves secure. We are at the whim of the ocean, at the mercy of the current. But let's look at verse 19, Hebrews 6:19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. 
God in his unfailing love and mercy has made a way for us to stop drifting, to stop running from God. God is our anchor. Christ is our anchor. What does an anchor do? It has one job. It secures. It holds fast. It keeps the boat steady no matter what weather comes against it. Christ is our anchor. He is our hope, our our steadfast and sure hope. And look where the anchor is attached. It's secured to the inner sanctuary, into the holy of holies. It plants us in the very place where God dwells, in full communion with God, with God the Father. And Christ is now seated at the right hand of God, mediating on our behalf. How comforting is that? Christ on the cross died for our sins, took our punishment, took the curse that was, was on us. He took it so that we didn't have to, to take that on ourselves. So as the band comes up, I've just got one more thing to say. In each of our messages so far, we've heard a warning that we need to heed. And I thought about what what the author is saying to us in this passage. And I think the warning we need to heed is seen in verse 15. We read, And so after waiting patiently, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. All Abraham had to do was wait in faith. Wait for God. Wait for his timing. Wait for his promise to be fulfilled. But waiting isn't always easy. It requires faith. And what about the birds of prey that come and try and pick at the promises of God, trying to distract us from this anchor that we have, this promise that we have that is secure. And the author of Hebrews is saying, look at the anchor. Don't look at the birds of prey. Don't look at all the things, the weather, the storms. Look at the anchor. You are firm and secure in Christ, in God's holy presence. He is your anchor. He is your hope. There is nothing else. Psalm 27 to 8 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Isaiah 40, 31, But they will wait for the Lord They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So how are you waiting? Are you waiting in faith, knowing that you are anchored in God's holy presence? Do you remind yourself every time the storm comes 
every time you look for the promise that God hasn't fulfilled yet, where are you looking? Are you looking to the anchor? Because in the anchor, we have hope and it is a sure hope. So I did this in the 9am and I think we'll do it again. I just want to take just a few minutes just to, to think about where our hope is. Look back in your last week. Look forward to your next week. Where is your hope? Is it in the anchor? Is it in the blood of Christ? Because if it's not there, then it's not secure. But we have security in Him. So let's take hold of that anchor. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.